Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. The Onyx Hunt app is your premier GPS hunting app that turns your mobile phone into a fully functioning working GPS. And you can use that with or without cell service, see all land ownership, markings, boundaries, and so much more. But in addition to the app, one thing that not a lot of people know about is over on onxmaps.com, they have the Hunt Central, which you can go in there and click on any state and find out all the information, rules and regulations, what the state's known for, some terrain, the units, hunting seasons, draw applications, everything. It's your one-stop place to be able to find all of that. And that's free to you in addition to to the app. So if you want to head over to onxmaps.com and if you use the coupon code EMW, that'll save yourself 20% off of the online app. Tethered, so Tethered has been developing the lightest weight, safest mobile hunting gear in the last couple of years. And Tethered just continues to put out more products to really help streamline your mobile hunting game, specifically saddle hunting. And over on their website now, from what started out as the Mantis saddle, the Predator platform, and the accessories that went along with it is now a fully functioning website with a whole bunch of different accessories, different straps, clips, things that make it simpler and easier to uh, to be mobile hunting and just saddle hunting in general. But what what's great about Tethered is in addition to having all of these great products that they sell, they are really trying to help teach you the basics of saddle hunting and the benefits of that. So they have so many different resources, whether it's the Tethered podcast, whether it's your YouTube channel, blog posts, everything else that help teach you about saddle hunting. So head over to tetherednation.com to be able to check that out. And last but not least, Elk 101 and Corey Jacobson have put together the most fully comprehensive elk hunting learning course available, and that is the University of Elk Hunting. The University of Elk Hunting is your place to go to from from beginning to end, from the planning stages, which is you know like what I'm doing currently, getting ready for 2021, all the way through the fitness, the gear, and the elk strategies, elk behaviors, and every single thing in between to be able to help you out. It's it's not a course that you can sit there and complete in an hour. This is something that'll take, you know, could potentially take up to a month of going through. There's that much information there, but you don't need to go anywhere else. Don't need to search uh, forums. You don't need to do any of that. You can have all that information there to hopefully help you become a better elk hunter. And so if you want to check that out, use the coupon code East Meets West and you'll save yourself 20% off of a one-year membership to the online course. All right, so some news that I have this week before we get into today's episode. I just finally released a couple of new products to the, the store. So on the online store, the East Meets West apparel store, I have two new uh, products, two new hats, um, the Freedom Flag series. So I have the Freedom Flag patch hat, which is a heathered gray and uh, dark gray and orange um, hat with uh, 
the East Meets West flag logo patch on the front of it, as well as the Freedom Flag active hat, which is, if you remember, the Arrowhead hat that I had um, that I wore on my caribou hunt and wore on a bunch of different hunts and training. It's made by Richardson. So Richardson's the brand of the hat. And it just has the flag patch logo on it, but it's extremely good for moisture wicking, high intensity workouts. I, I use, I wear that hat for when I'm working out, hiking, scouting, do sometimes hunting, all those different things. Um, so I'm really pumped to to be able to get that in stock. And so, as with all of the apparel items, you can get three percent. I donate 3% to a different conservation organization every quarter. And for the fourth quarter here, it is the Deer Association. So, you know, formerly known as the QDMA and the National Deer Association, I have. So, I'll be donating all the 3% of the sales for this past quarter to them. And in addition, if you are in law enforcement, you are in the military, first responder, um, emergency medicine, anything like that, shoot me an email and I have a, a hero coupon code to save you some money off some of the stuff on the online store. So check that out. And other than that, uh, just getting ready for Christmas here and just trying to take a little step back and enjoy some time, um, you know, kind of reflecting on a year and figuring out what's what's going to go on here in 2021. Uh, a lot of a lot of cool things planned. And uh, next the next episode, I think I'm going to do a solo one where just kind of talking about goal planning, um, how to how I'm structuring, you know, planning hunts um and everything else that comes in life because obviously life isn't built around hunting as much as as we like it it's uh it's it's a balancing act and figuring all that stuff out so i don't do anything perfect but i'd I'd like to to share some of my thoughts and how i'm doing some goal settings and things that i'm i'm looking to plan here for 2021 but until then i have a pretty good episode here with a buddy of mine dan staten who was one of the first guests on i think in the top 10 or 15 episodes when i first started this um, with elk shape so dan and i are going to talk about his 2020 elk season uh, adapting to covid crowding and how somehow he still was able to fill three tags and three bulls and and all in different states so he uh dan works his ass off to say the least and um we also talk about balancing family hunting and business preparing for the 2021 elk season how physical fitness and elk hunting correlate and then lastly the elk shape camp that uh he's gonna have in pennsylvania as you'll hear about i'm gonna be attending it um super excited about that so Anyways, let's uh, have you jump into this episode here uh, with Dan Staten. Enjoy and Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. All right, we're live and I'm talking through the, the computer to the phone, whatever you want to call it here, to uh, my good buddy Dan Staten out in the beautiful state of Idaho. What's up, brother? What's up, buddy? Uh, I wish I lived in Idaho. I live about 20 minutes from the border. Of really? The, of the freedom state. Yeah. I live in the lockdown state of Washington. Oh, oh, okay. You're one of them. I know. All right. But hey, I like where your head's at. I do want to move to Idaho. I'm just trying to 
convinced my wife and I'm, I'm sandpapering her to death about it. So just you wait. <laughs> you have a camp in Idaho. Is that right? Yeah. So my dad and I bought uh, a house together in Idaho before I was married. So like in 2007, we bought uh, a house in North Idaho in the panhandle there in the mountains. Okay. Maybe that's what I was thinking of. I, I, I guess I, I forgot that you lived in Washington there. Yeah. We're so when you say lockdown state, you know, I'm in Pennsylvania and it's very similar to that as of just today, as we're recording this, I just found out that uh, all gyms are closing again and they're locking down no indoor dining, all that stuff all over again. Okay. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So <laughs> my gym, I sold it to a poor bastard. Um, and I say that jokingly because he's a great guy, but I sell him this awesome gym I built for 11 years, well-oiled machine. He's the perfect guy. He loves the people, everybody, you know, it's a people business and everything's going great year one. And then year two COVID hits. And then it's a CrossFit gym. So like, I think the CEO of CrossFit at the time made a horrible tweet that you can't take back. Um, and so about half the CrossFit's de-affiliated and CrossFit was like, I mean, all that happened in 2020, of course. Right. And the poor guy is just like year one. He can't even open his gym right now, man. That sucks. That's yeah. I, I, I feel so bad for those people. You know, when I, as I'm complaining about not being able to go to the gym, that's so minor, you know, I, I still have my job. I'm still working and, and living my life. You know, that's, that's a small thing where there's a lot of small businesses and, and things like place people like gym owners and stuff that are really, you know, really being affected by it. Yeah, no doubt. And the thing that's, I don't know. I don't want to get political. I'm not very, I'm not, I'm not soft and around the edges to be talk about politics. I think people know me that do like, I'm pretty straightforward, straight shooter, transparent. Here's my cards, but dude, how is a gym not essential? Obviously people need fitness right now more than ever. Those endorphins it's healthy. Um, there's safe ways to do it. Um, and I don't know what other people think. I mean, I don't, say that COVID's not serious, but I also can speak from, and I haven't talked about this publicly, so this will be the first time I had COVID not too long ago. Um, and I didn't put it on social or anything because I just don't want to deal with the direct messages that come from stuff like that. But uh, not that big of a deal, had a bad headache. I know everybody's symptoms are a little different, but my dad's uh, 65 years young and he got COVID. And you know, he's kind of in that age class where you should be concerned. And, you know, he just was sick for two weeks and stayed home. And I was sick and I just stayed home. I didn't, um, I knew it was my responsibility to, to just not, you know, go run around. And I also did not get tested, Bo. I don't, I did not want to perpetuate the machine. And, uh, <laughs> my wife is a nurse and she got tested. She had to go get tested and she had it. So I'm pretty sure I had it and, um, it wasn't a big deal. It didn't feel like something that would shut down a country and kill small businesses and increase big businesses business. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. I, 
I, I, I don't, I, I'm kind of like you is I don't talk much about it. Um, besides to like close friends and stuff. I don't, I don't know. I just don't give my opinion much on, on the podcast or anything else with it. You know, I just keep politics out of it, but man, you, you said everything that I'm thinking. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't want to make anyone mad. I have respect for it, but it's like, I can talk from a perspective of I've had it and I just see the value in, in fitness. And I guess I would end this political conversation with if shutting down the country worked, I would be like, great, let's shut it down again if cases are spiking, but it didn't work and it's not going to work again. So my prayers go out to all those small business people and all their employees that they can make it through these tough times. And you're right, man. It gives us a perspective to be thankful, full of gratitude for what we do have. Um, Cause you know, my wife has a job that's essential and I do digital media that, you know, so we're able to work, but man, I, my heart goes out to those people that cannot. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. And, and, you know, and the one point you said there that we'll, we'll kind of transition with is, you know, fitness and being healthy and stuff. That's, isn't that like one of the main things to be, to not have this affect you as much, you know, being healthy and, and just in general, that's, you know, if you, if you're healthy, you're in shape and, all that kind of stuff, you're more, you're a lot less likely to have issues from this than, and than if you didn't, you know what I mean? Than if you were overweight and, and everything else, I, I'm not a doctor, I'm not going to speak on it much, but in my opinion, I just think being healthy is essential and that's very important. Uh, I agree. Yeah. The core morbidity deal is kind of like really what people need to be concerned about or certain, you know, demographic age wise or whatever, but yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Anyway, we digress. <laughs> so Dan, you, uh, I've had you on the podcast before and it was literally episode like 10. So it's been a minute and I'm excited to, to get you back on and talk again. You and I have kept uh, in, in close contact over the last couple of years, but it's literally been over two years since I've had you on here and it doesn't seem like it's been that long. Oh wow, two years, really? Yeah, yeah. I I wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have guessed that, but I actually looked back and I thought I had you on another time, but I didn't. Mm, yeah, no, time flies by, but yeah, no, man, you're you're a good little egg in the industry. I like what you do. You have a real job, and you do the side hustle, and so I know what that takes. A lot of people don't. Um, so I just got mad respect for your hustle. Hustle is my love language. And I got love for you, man, because you're a hustler. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate that, Dan. I mean, it's 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 definitely not easy, but for me, it's t- totally worth it. I love it. It's you know, even the times when I get you know stressed out and everything else, I I don't know. I almost thrive in that kind of environment, and I don't I don't know why, but that's just kind of the way I'm wired. Yeah, man, uh, that's good. So let's give let's give everyone a little refresher on who Dan Staten is and what you're doing because since the last time i talked to you you had owned a gym and we're doing elk shape on the side and now that's kind of your full-time thing well not kind of it is oh yeah what do i do for a living that's a funny question i don't even know i do like digital media nonstop um for companies for my company i got a couple different brands i work with um yeah it's nuts but i'm just a regular old guy who loves to elk hunt at the end of the day i probably have uh, an extra extraordinary passion for elk hunting, but I am super ordinary. Uh, 
pretty much a gym rat since I was 18. Started, I was a personal trainer, put myself through college that way through undergrad and grad, studied all the exercise physiology science classes and masters and wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach pretty much for the, the NFL. And then I realized that if I was going to do that, I'd have to be on the sidelines at every game in the fall. And that wasn't going to allow me to go elk hunting or any time, any kind of hunting really. And so I chose, um, to kind of back away and start training like more like youth athletes, high school athletes, collegiate athletes started a company called like fast track performance doing speed and agility with basically kids ages eight up through college. Uh, I'm giving you the full version. And then I, uh, I needed to make more money because <laughs> I was only training kids after school. And so I was like, I got to train adults during the day to get some revenue during the day when the kids are at school or whatever. And so I started training adults and then I looked into training more than just one or two adults at a time, like group classes and kind of looked into a little bit of CrossFit stuff. And I was like, Oh, that could kind of work. Although I think their programming's stupid and everyone's going to get hurt, but I did try a little bit of it on myself and I kind of like fell, uh, I fell in love instantly. In fact, uh, it, it kicked the crap out of my <laughs> old workout program. It was exciting. It was changing. And I got really good results, started having my adults do the CrossFit. And honestly, Bo, it grew into where I was like, I'm just going to open a CrossFit gym too. And so I opened up my CrossFit gym. That was about 12 years ago and ran that for over a decade and um, loved it. And then uh, I've always been in the hunting industry at some capacity, whether it be a videographer uh, and working for yourself allows you to have like a little side job like that. So I could always manipulate my, my gym schedule. I had employees and stuff. So started out as a writer, videographer, uh, back when magazines were cool and um, was filming for Sportsman's Warehouse, um, got to be on Bowhunter Magazine TV a couple seasons and got more and more writing gigs and then um, started a company called Train to Hunt in 2010. Did that for a minute. And uh, 2013, I was like, I left Train to Hunt, split up with my business partner. He took over that. I decided to start Elk Shape. And I thought it'd be really cool to just focus on what I'm passionate about, which is fitness and elk hunting. Because really, if you distill it down, that's what I love. So I started kind of doing the side brand called Elk Shape, and social media really wasn't huge yet, and um, it kind of just grew and grew. And next thing you know, I'm doing Elk Shape camps where I'm, people are flying into my gym, and I'm spending a whole weekend with them on their archery, their elk calling, their elk tactics, how to get elk tags, and then showing them fitness programs and it just blew up to where I was like, I can't do both. I'm going to try to sell the gym. And here we are today. I sold the gym almost two years ago and I just do elk shape. So that's what I'm up to. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And I've been following along with your journey for quite a while now and, and seeing that evolve and, and change. And I think the first time I found you was on a YouTube video 
Uh, when I first started looking to get into elk hunting, it was like in 2015 or 16, something, somewhere in that range. And yeah, it, you've, it, it's funny, you know, from the few videos I first found you now to putting out just so much content that's super helpful for people. And, and, and it's been incredibly helpful for, for me, not only just from knowing you, but from seeing your the stuff that you're putting out. So I, I, I'm I very have a lot of respect for what you do with elk shape and with everything else, and, and just as an elk hunter in general. Dude, thanks, man. I, I love elk hunting. There's no denying that. I feel blessed to have found it. It literally changed my life. And when I say that, I mean like I literally stopped pursuing the NFL strength and conditioning coach dream job because I it would I would not be able to hunt elk yeah. in the fall. And so I, I really, I say that I think people take it in jest, but I'm being pretty serious. Like elk hunting is literally a, a huge blessing for me. And it's helped me be really know my why and my purpose is to help people. And if I can help them in their fitness and in their life and in their elk hunting success, it's just, it's a win-win man. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, pretty fulfilling when you find something like that you know you might have been able you know it would have been your dream job essentially to be a strength and conditioning coach and stuff in the NFL but at the same time it's like this is what you truly love and you know I, I can relate to that even with you know so I, I still have a full-time job that that I do but for a while I was living down in the Pittsburgh area and which I could make a lot more money there, could do all this different stuff. But for me, I loved whitetail hunting in the Appalachian Mountains, and that's where I grew up, right in the center of it. And so I ended up just packing up shop and heading back to my hometown so I could be, you know, within 10, 15 minute drive of a bunch of great hunting spots and, and, you know, found a job where I got a decent amount of paid vacations so that I could travel out West and then also for, for hunting here. And like, that's, that's what drives me more than, than money and, and anything else is, is that passion for it, you know? Yeah, I I'm with you, dude. I, I got a word for it or a phrase. I call it, I'm a time chaser, not a money chaser. And there's a difference. Um, I can't say I've always been that way. When I was in my early twenties, I was a hustling up a lot of personal training business. Um, I probably made more money in my early 20s than I do now, I, honestly. Um, and that's what I wanted to bankroll lots of dollars, but uh, I didn't have a lot of time. I'd be training 12 hours a day. I'd be at a gym from dark to dark. And I was probably, you know, just not that happy. Um, and so for me, when I opened the CrossFit gym, I took a huge pay cut and was so happy and that's why it was so easy to do elk shape i was like yeah it's not about the money it's about the time i want to have the time to go hunting i want to have a reason to go elk hunting and uh and to you know just continue to chase bugles because that's really what, what i live for besides my family yeah you know oh definitely and so with when you say made this transition to elk shape full-time you sounds like you got more time to hunt and so with with this year in 2020 what what did your elk season look like yeah so it was a it was an interesting year i tried to set aside 
I would say this is going to sound horrible. So people, I understand I am spoiled rotten. Uh, let's just get that up front. But I was trying to plan two to three elk tags for 2020. And that's kind of what I've actually always done. And if you look back at my history, uh, before I owned my own gym, I would quit a job if they wouldn't give me the month of September off. And as a personal <laughs> trainer, you could kind of do that be like, hey, I'm not going to be here for September. And if you don't let me, I'll just take all my clients to the competitor down the street and they'll follow me. So I had a little leverage. So I learned how to leverage that early on. So I have, this is, this was my 19th year of elk hunting. And when I say 19 seasons, I mean like 19 opening day to the closing day in September. That's 19 seasons. So I've had a lot of time in the field. So super blessed, super fortunate. Um, and so I've always planned to hunt all of September. And that is a good thing for me. But I will say it's not good for everybody, Bo. Like too much of a good thing. Uh, there's a reason why that's a saying. Because if you hunt as hard as you can 30 days in a row, uh, it's going to wear on you. It can wear you down. So um, what I do is I try to pick two to three tags. Um, when I'm planning my elk season, I try to pick like kind of a swing for the fences strategy for some States. I try to like get one of those mid range, like need some luck, but I have some points and maybe I got like a 20% chance of drawing. And then I obviously my guaranteed over the counter opportunity, Walmart tag. And I kind of, you know, go through all the States, been playing the, the point game a long time and try to figure out where I'm hunting. And it's not always easy, right? Because every state seems to have the different draw system, different point, lots of nuance and different times of the year. Uh, Idaho for historically for many years, you could just dude, I could roll into the gas station on my way to elk camp, pick up my tag. And then if I killed an Idaho bull, I could drive back down out of the woods to the gas station, buy a second tag archery and go kill another bull. I've done that, I don't know, over a decade. Uh, just a few years ago, uh, I killed a bull in Idaho, drove to town, went to buy my second tag, and the lady said something to me that I'll never forget. She was like, oh, my gosh. She was like, I think you might have got one of the last elk tags. And I was like, what? There's a limit? And she was like, yeah, there's like, there's only so many. There's like 12,000 something. And I think you might have got one of the last ones. I was like, okay. And then so the following year, Bo, I remember this might have been 2018. I bought my first Idaho elk tag and I waited till August 1st when they go on sale. And I bought my second Idaho elk tag up front, which I never had to do. That is the last time I've had two elk tags in Idaho. And that's probably the last time I ever will. Yeah. Um, last year they sold out um, August. In 2019, they sold all their elk tags out in August. And in this year, they sold all their elk tags by June. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's crazy. Because when I bought mine in 2019 there, I bought it at the end of July. And it sold out like, yeah, a couple weeks later, I think it was. Yeah, so it's very like tricky. You have to kind of have your head in the game. And especially nowadays with like elk hunting's cool. Man, Joe Rogan talks about elk meat all the time. Um so every state's coming up here in 2021. So like Arizona will be the first, then it will be, uh, gosh, like Wyoming, then, uh, Montana, Utah, and so on, New Mexico. And it just kind of trickles out. 
week by week, month by month. And so you kind of don't know where you're hunting until you do. Yep. And so really, I wish most states would just have their draws at the beginning of the year and then you can spend the rest of the year e-scouting and really formulating your plan. But a lot of times you can't. But um, for this year, I drew um, a Wyoming general tag and I didn't find out till May that I drew that. And I had bought an Idaho over-the-counter tag. Uh, and then I had put in for the Montana draw and drew a general tag in Montana. And so I kind of had all my ducks you know, in a row come into May. I knew like, okay, I got, and then um, started planning. And what I did this year was I decided to hunt all new to me units. And cause I've hunted um, all three of those States before for elk. But this year I was like, screw it. I'm going to brand new units. And in the back of my mind, I was thinking like, when I go to elk shape camps, like, like I'm going to go to one in Pennsylvania. I'm sure we'll talk about it, but like, I'm going to be hanging out with 25 other guys that can't just go scout on the weekends for elk. Uh, it's like a 30, 36 hour drive to elk camp. So they are like me. They're basically going to new to them units. And I need to get better at like figuring out units on the fly while I'm there and evolving and adapting. And so that was kind of like my behind in the back of my mind agenda this year was to like test my limits and not hunt anywhere that I've been before and just kind of see if I can make it happen. So that was like the premise for this year. And I started, um, my elk hunting in Idaho and then I went to Wyoming and then I finished in Montana and we actually, uh, first year ever hired a cameraman to follow me around everywhere. I went hunting solo and, um, that poor guy, really <laughs> earned his paycheck. I mean, he had to follow Dan, the fitness man in the mountains for 30 days and he crushed it. So we're actually, all those hunts are on going on YouTube right now. We're doing a day by day series and that's on the, our YouTube channel. So, um, that's not a shameless plug either. I'm just saying like, it's, it was a grind, dude. It was a grind. It was almost too much of a good thing. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. I, I have to give credit to your cameraman there because that, that's not a job I'd want to follow you around for 30 days. I, I wouldn't want to follow really anybody around elk hunting for 30 days because that's, that is exactly what you said, a full out grind. He lost 22 pounds and I don't feel like he really had 22 pounds to lose. And, um, he, he just never frowned. He was never in a bad mood. I never had to wait on him. He was always just like ready to rock and super positive. Uh, his name's Jake Webb. He's a good friend of mine. Um, obviously, we're even better friends now. I got to know him pretty well Yeah, <laughs> uh, in 30 days. And uh, yeah, I can't say enough about him, man. Would he say the same thing? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. You should get him on your podcast yeah. and ask him. What was yeah. it like being around Dan for 30 days? But I think, I think he was... Um, a couple things like talking to him, he's like, you know, looking back, uh, he's like, you hunt in a way that I've never seen anyone do before. And I don't know if that's a compliment or not. Um, it might not be. And he's like, and he's like, I don't, he's like, I don't think people understand how hard you try or how hard you grind day in and day out. And I have this mantra. I always told him every day. You probably got tired of hearing it, but I always said, Hey Jake, 
The only easy day was yesterday. And that was just kind of a way for us to lie to each other because there was days where we do like 16 miles literally and get back to camp so late, have just enough time to get your backpack ready for the next day, make dinner, pass out for a few hours and the alarm clock's going off and we got to hit it hard again because this is all we got. September's so finite, like it'll be gone in a second. Um, so that was kind of our mantra. I got to put that on a shirt almost because it's just like a good way, a good mantra to live by when you're elk hunting. Yeah, no, that's, that's so true. I, I saw, I saw a meme on Instagram today. Somebody sent me, it was a, it was a video of, of someone singing a song. It was about getting me out of here. It said, and the, the caption said day two of your dream solo seven day elk hunt. <laughs> it's like, like take me home <laughs> yeah <laughs> and how, how true is that you know like when i know for like myself going when i started elk hunting out west and every time i go and even even with whitetail hunting here you know it's a, it's a grind and what you look forward to all year and then you get into it and it's not easy no matter how much you prepare for it and it's just it's a, just a literal grind you just got to put one step one foot in front of the other Oh yeah. Especially, yeah. Any type of hunt that you're back to back days. Um, I don't know how much time you get off for your rut, your Pennsylvania rut hunt, but like if you got to stretch seven days, that first day, I mean, you're up before your alarm clock, you're so giddy. And then just fast forward to the end of that. When like you've done that seven days straight, dude, it's a grind. You've been eating gas station food, sitting in a damn tree stand, thinking about nothing and you have no cell service and you're just trying to wait for a big buck. I mean, that is a, that's a lot. It's a mental grind. Yeah. I, this year, yeah, this year I had like 11 days straight. Essentially I hunted and I sit dark to dark and uh -huh. there was three days in a row where I didn't see a deer and that it's, it's low deer density. And, and I'm, I'm not like, I know that's going to happen. Like it's not, it doesn't discourage me a ton. Like I know it is, but still at the same time, you start second guessing yourself, you start doing all these things, everything runs through your mind. And it's, it's, it's difficult whether you're in a tree stand or if you're, you know, physically putting on miles when you're elk hunting. Mm, no doubt. It's, it's between the ears. The mind is primary no matter what your hunting pursuit is. And I wouldn't want it any other way. Yeah. It, it makes it so much more. It's so satisfying when it does come together and you put in all that work. It's just like I'm flooded with, with emotions when that happens. That's for sure. Yeah. I think it's almost better that if it's a grind, there's like a sense of delayed gratification. It just kind of elevates the reward. Um, and it teaches you a lot about yourself, not to like sound cliche. I, 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 I really truly believe that. Um, oh yeah, it's it's cool. But we we basically this year we started in Idaho and we knew we had about thirty days of hunting in front of us, and it was a it was a new to me unit uh, or units. It was an area that I had I had antelope hunted a little bit, so I'd been in that country quite a bit for I don't know several several years. Um, and there's really nowhere in Idaho I haven't really like at least stepped foot in um, just being living close to Idaho for so many years, but man, um, I've said this on other podcasts, like there was a thing going on, like COVID crowding is what I've coined the phrase, but it's like, um, there's just so many people in the woods this year. Like I generally love hunting during the week and 
kind of count on those weekend hunts to kind of be either go really, really steep and deep on the weekends or camp in the backcountry, or go to really like overlooked areas where like you park on a main road and hike straight up 3000 vertical, like do something that most people just would think is absurd to get away from pressure. And I was having to do those sorts of things during the week because there was just people everywhere. Like I remember there was this one trailhead and it had like 14 people camped at the trailhead. And like there, it was just looked like a homeless camp. I mean, it was just tents everywhere, trucks everywhere. And, and, uh, I had planned on going up that trailhead. Well, Bo, I did not go up that trailhead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so it, it took me a long time to kind of figure things out in Idaho. Um, but what we ended up doing was we stuck to our gypsy mobile elk hunting style where we would literally pull up somewhere in the dark, sleep in the truck, wake up in the morning, head in blind hunt an area that we e-scouted and if it was great great and if it was good eh, good but we never came back two days in a row to the same spot and we just kept moving driving when we got back to the truck every night to the new location i really liked it i got, learned several units saw got into elk every stinking day no matter what we would get an elk encounter and to me that's the formula like you can't have bad days in the elk woods and so we can kind of talk about that strategy, but like, I like to be into elk every day. And so a lot of times that would mean like, if you pull up to a new spot in the dark, it's not a bad idea to go hike out a few ridges and bugle in the dark and try to get something located to hunt the next day, or wake up at two or three in the morning and head out in the dark and try to find some elk that will vocalize and then camp on them till daylight. And so we did those tactics and they were aggressive. Uh, but it took us about, oh, just under two weeks to get the first bull killed of the year. Wow. And was that, was that, what was your kind of tactic on that day? Like, or what, what happened that led you to that, that bull? So what I ended up doing on that bull is, um, I, I, I had to look at maps and I had to, I kind of knew that there were several groups of elk in this area. I had to look at a map and be like, okay. If I was your average hunter, how would I go in after these elk? And I would almost have to like take a pin out and like highlight all the trailheads and figure out all the points of access. And what I ended up doing is I found a way to kind of get to the really the nastiest country possible with that that just was the took the longest to get to and you didn't have a trailhead to get to it. So I bushwhacked is what I call it, off trail to the spot in the, uh, on the day I killed, didn't hear a single bugle until about nine 30. And I started at four in the morning. So it was like five hours of hiking and thank God I heard a bugle. Cause I was starting to question my sanity. I'm like, man, this was a bad idea. Heard that first bugle moved towards that direction. And it worked like a charm. Like I was in the nastiest country. It was in a Canyon. There was no water. It was just cliffed out in a lot of spots. And there was like, so many elk in there and just ended up getting in really tight to one of the bulls and, and, um, basically solo, solo elk hunting, uh, called him in and got a, I think a 44 yard shot and finally punched my tag in Idaho. Oh, that's awesome. It's, that's, I, I think like from, from me listening to you talking about this, like a big takeaway is just the, 
how you adapted so much. I mean, you know, you've had 19 seasons of elk hunting and everything, but it sounds like, you know, now more than ever this year, more than ever, you're dealing with pressure and and having to kind of change your tactics and adapt on the fly. I think other people listening are going to have to do the same. You're going to find yourself in a situation where you need to figure out where is the pressure coming from? Where are the hunters migrating? Where are they bottlenecked? And what, how are the elk going to respond to that? And that's almost where you need to make your move. And uh, so we did the same thing once we got down to Wyoming. Um, I, I don't know if Wyoming was, yeah, it probably was actually worse than Idaho. And, and Wyoming's like a general tag that you have to draw. Yeah. You can't just buy over the counter. So I was kind of excited to hunt Wyoming. I thought, uh, you know, we were getting down there middle September. I thought the bulls would be on fire. Um, and when we got down there, man, like I, I, we were on a camp off a national forest service road. And I think there was like a hundred razors going by every hour on the hour trucks and then hunters everywhere. But there was also people fly fishing. Uh, I didn't know, I didn't do that good of research. There was a rifle mule deer hunt going on simultaneously. Um, (laughs) that was terrible. Um, so, and then just people out camping and hiking with their dogs in the elk woods it was like unprecedented stuff i hope this doesn't happen next year but we had to adapt and so what we did in wyoming is we started um spike camp elk hunting where i have a little spike camp bag with all my gear put it in my bag hike in the dark find a good spot near water take that out dump the pack mark it up on my map and go hunt come back in the evening after dark set up camp or grab camp and be like, oh man, this is not the place to stay. Let's hike all the way back to the truck. So basically I'd always have my spike camp bag kind of staged to where I could stay or I could bail back to the truck. And um, the reason why I hiked it all the way in was just in case we needed to stay. And we ended up staying several different times in several different locations. Um, And ultimately, again, we had to figure out, okay, most of the hunters that camp on national forest service roads, get to a trailhead half hour before light for whatever reason. I never ran into a lot of people that would like hike in, in the dark for an hour or two. So that kind of, and then everybody hunting in Wyoming mule deer were hunting off horses. And so obviously they're going way deeper than you need to for elk. So there was like this buffer zone of kind of half the distance between the high country and the trailhead where the elk congregated. And it took us several days to figure this out, obviously, Bo, but that's what it took is that we had to think like elk and find pockets where they could get away from pressure from the high country horsemen. Um, and then the same from the pressure from all the guys coming in at the trailheads 30 minutes to an hour before light. And um, so so when you were doing that, and it's, it's, it's funny that you, you say that, you know, I'd, I'd seen that when like in Colorado before with just like hunting areas that had outfitters that would take people in on horses and everything else. And then you had the, the guys that would hunt close to the vehicle and there was that kind of buffer zone there as well that it seemed like it, you know, it, for a while there, I was even camping for, I was hunting back towards the truck more than I was, you know, further in from where I spike camped. But, um, so did you end up finding, did you end up finding a bull, uh, to kill there in Wyoming? Yeah. So 
I ended up settling in on not spike camp hunting, but what I did do was, so my dad was down there and he was hunting solo as well. Uh, we would stay in his camper at night, but I would, I would hit the trail in the mornings about two hours before light and go, I think it was a, just over five miles, um, to get to where the elk were. And so I would just hike in the dark, get there with maybe a 20, 30 minutes just before shooting light. So I could hear bugles, hear elk and kind of get moving closer with the wind in my face. And once it was light, it was game on. And I wasn't seeing mule deer hunters. I wasn't seeing, I never saw any other hunters. And if I did, it was usually like the, the mule deer guys on horseback coming out from the day, like midday, which didn't bother me. But, uh, yeah, that was a grind though, Bo. If you think about that five miles, one way, then you hunt all over kingdom come chasing bugles. And then when it gets dark, dark, it's time to head out five more miles back. So yeah. I had a lot, I had some serious mileage, uh, those last three days, but I ended up killing, um, towards the end of September. Um, just, yeah, right off of a horse trail, uh, shot a bull. He had maybe a dozen cows and they were getting water and I just snuck in and shot them right at 50. Um, actually got two arrows in them and, uh, that was awesome. So, yeah. and on my podcast, I talked about it and I don't know if you've ever done this, but, uh, when I was cutting up that bull by myself in the dark, I was almost done like one hind quarter to go. And I sliced my hand. I don't think slice is the right word. Stabbed my hand with my knife accidentally. And I took it. I was, I had like a, a surgical blade, probably three inches long. And somehow I managed to stab it in the webbing of my, between my thumb and my index. And it went straight into like the meatiest part of my hand and buried it. And I felt it instantly. I pulled it out instantly. I stopped butchering that elk immediately and like got it. It wrapped up super tight, left all my stuff at the elk and just hiked five miles out to the four wheeler road to camp, woke my dad up at about two in the morning and I was like, dad, I cut myself like really, really, really bad. And I don't want to look at it. Can you clean it up? And, uh, yeah, it was an ordeal, man. I ended up having to get stitches. I was able to, uh, get it cleaned out and all that stuff. But man, I don't know about you. I've had so many close calls with those stinking surgical blade type Havilon blades. And it finally caught up to me. And, um, it was a big deal because I could, I couldn't really use my hand. I had to get like, I think eight stitches total, uh, Jeez. cost me an ER visit. And, uh, yeah, man, all because, and I wasn't in a hurry or anything. I just made a mistake. Yeah, no, that's, those things are, those things are, are ridiculous with that. I've, I've never cut myself even close to that, but I've cut myself with them and I ended up going back to using a fixed blade knife for doing some of that stuff that's not as sharp, but I just, I don't know. I just, I, I, I know myself well enough that I'm, I, I would definitely at some point cut myself pretty good with one of those. Yeah. I went after that hunt, I went back to fixed. I still use a surgical a little bit around spots, but I'm like super careful, but yeah, that was, uh, that was a bad deal. Uh, we were able to get that bull out the next day. My dad and my buddy Manny helped me and we actually used horses. My buddy had horses and, uh, got a hold of him and he helped get that elk out 
And then I just went straight to the nearest town, the nearest ER and got that thing sewn up. But it actually kind of got in the way of my hunt plan. I had one more tag in Montana. And the thing about the padding between your index and your thumb is that's where I put my bow when I pull back. Okay. It's on your left hand. Uh Mm Uh-huh. And so when I got home, I had to first wait for the stitches to get taken out, which was like several days. And then once I got them out, I like was scared to death to shoot a bow because it was just so painful. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember I pulled back and it was like, I filmed it and put it on Instagram and it was like the most painful thing ever. But I got my bow back, took one shot at 50 in my backyard, hit a bullseye. And I was like, great. I can go elk hunting. Let's go. I can get this thing pulled back with adrenaline. If a bull's standing, uh, let's do it. And so my wife gave me the green light and I headed to Montana and I was pretty stoked to go to Montana. And again, headed to a brand new area. I'd never been. I kind of just did some last minute e-scouting, picked a trailhead, got there in the dark, woke up the next morning. It was early October. Actually, it was October October 9th was my first day to actually go hunting. And so I woke up, uh, slept in the back of the truck, went blindly up a trailhead and went pretty deep, found a nice glassing vantage and just stayed on that vantage point all day long and ended up finding um, a shooter bull and watched him all day. Uh, He would get up and feed, chase a few cows around, go back down in bed. And I couldn't do anything about it all day and it was the day one obviously of like a seven day hunt so i wasn't like going to be aggressive and i just told myself hey man if if he makes a mistake or if the wind changes the prevailing wind changes go for it and so i i think it was about 5 30 ish montana time and the the sun finally kind of went behind to where shade was you know growing up the hillside and the wind started actually jamming down finally. And I dropped the Canyon. I saw the bull kind of chasing a cow again and just kind of picked that timber patch out and still hunted my way in there, never making a sound. And luckily saw him before he saw me. And I had him at, uh, I remember ranging him. He had his head down and I ranged him in my right rangefinder read 50.0. Cause I got one of those vortex ones that gives you the decimal Yep. and I had a 50 yard pin and I was like, perfect. Pulled back and, and smoked him. But, uh, <laughs> that was cool to actually get a 50.0 reading and he never knew I was there and he got shot. And, um, that video will be on YouTube in a couple weeks. It's still, it's part of the series, but that's the best blood trail I've ever had on a bull. Really? I don't know what, yeah. I don't know why. I mean, it was a double long shot, but like for whatever reason that opened him up so good that uh, I didn't have to follow tracks. I just followed the paint bucket of blood. And, and then I had a hellacious pack out uh, by myself without a horse. <laughs> and uh, you'll have to watch that video because I think I recorded my mileage and it was 26 miles when I was done with the last load. Jesus. That is incredible. And, you know, not just 26 miles, but 26 miles at the end of all that elk hunting, that entire season. Yeah. Like, like 13 of them were with meat on my back. So what, um, what date was that when you shot that last bull? October 9th. It was my first day in Montana. Okay. Wow. That's, that's awesome. 
That's yeah. Now because yeah, Montana's archery season goes longer. Is that uh, am I right with that? Yeah, it's generally a six week archery season with a general tag. Okay. All right. That's yeah. So I I'm actually. I was telling you a little bit before this, but I'm thinking about hunting Montana this upcoming year. My brother just moved to Montana, so that's awesome. And I, I want to hunt there for elk and also deer as well, because it just, it, with him being there, that really helps logistics standpoint. And uh, I'm hoping that he can do some scouting for me, but I, I doubt he will. <laughs> oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But that's that's awesome. So you had three tags covid crowding and filled all three of them and stitches yeah exactly uh i was able to give so i've killed three bulls in a year before um actually several times and i can't like the the last time i did that was two years ago and i ended up giving that third bull i went and processed it all and then i told all the members of my gym i was like hey i'm bringing elk meat you can take as much or as little as you like. And bro, there was like a line at the door when I arrived with the coolers full of elk meat. And so I'm really like, I'm all about hunters uniting, not dividing. Like that's big for me nowadays yep. because we can all like nitpick. Oh, you shoot a long range rifle or you shoot a trad bow or you, you road hunt or you hunt 40 miles from the road none of that matters to me. Like if we're hunters, we got to stay united. And, um, so I've had people like kind of look down on me for shooting three bulls, which were three tags that I bought with my hard earned money. And I spent gas and time away from my family to get them killed. And it's my prerogative. So I do want to say that I have no apologies, but the last time I killed three bulls in a season, I took the third one to a gym full of people that are non hunters. Doesn't mean they're anti hunters. It just means they're non-hunters and I'm giving them the best organic protein source on the planet and they're gobbling it up. And then that makes me proud to know they're at home preparing a meal that says Montana backstrap on it. And that makes me super proud to know that they know where this meat came from. They have no clue how hard I work to get it out of the mountains, but at least they like, Hey, hunting isn't that bad. This is pretty cool thing. Yeah. And I like that. So this year, that third bull, because my family can't eat three elk, although we, we might if we put our heads to it. We eat a lot of elk. We usually eat two bulls a year for sure. But that third bull, I got to give some meat to my camera guy, Jake, who's a stud. And um, I got to give some to my producer for the YouTube channel. And I got to give some to my dad, my mom, and my sisters. And all hunters pride themselves in being providers. And there's just no better feeling. Yeah, that, that is, that is incredible to to be able to do that. And, and from when I, I've I've only killed one bull, but when I did like the amount of elk meat you get from that is just awesome. Like I, I, I'm used to killing whitetails and the the amount of meat you get off an elk is just, it's insane. And there's, there's no better feeling of a full freezer either. No doubt. And, um, my wife, man, she, she puts up with a guy who hunts a lot and, it does help my case. So, so guys and gals listening, spouses, like it does help your case as far as leaving the family to go hunting. Cause it is a juggling act. It is a balancing act when that freezer is full of, you know, awesome meat and she doesn't got to go to the store and buy any. That's pretty cool. Um, and I dig that my kids know about it. My kids help me process it. And, um, hunters know, 
these, everyone listening knows like, it's just, it's really cool to be a hunter. That's why we got to stay united. And that's why we got to help educate the, the uninitiated non-hunting crowd that still goes to the ballot box. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, so that you, you mentioned something there, you know, talking about your wife and everything else. So the, the juggling act, you know, coming in as we're coming into the new year here and everything, what, what do you do as far as to, to figure out that balance? What, what does that look like from a family standpoint and business and hunting and everything else? How do you find that, that balance? And what, what does that look like? Yeah, I'm still trying to figure that out though. <laughs> um, for real, man. It's like, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm asking this for a reason. So, but <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, when are you getting married? Uh, no, not anytime soon, but <laughs> okay. Just checking. Uh, so one thing that's helped is like, so I've been married for 11 years. I was an elk hunter before I met my wife. So I was able to set a precedent when we were dating. I believe the first year we dated, I was filming for sportsman's warehouse I was, I mean, I was gone September through November. I missed Thanksgiving. I mean, didn't see my wife. Um, and that was cool. But I will say that once we had kids, that's really changed the environment. Like I miss the kids so much that it's harder and harder to leave them. But I also dichotomy. I love elk hunting so much that I'm just trying to stay in the moment elk hunting. And the worst times is when the hunting is slow or you're in your sleeping bag at night and you're sleep and trying to go fall asleep. You're thinking about your loved ones. You're thinking about your wife and your kids and you're missing them. Um, so that is a real thing. And I'm not afraid to admit that, but, um, I try to fill their tanks up as much quality time as possible leading up to the season. Um, so like last year, 2019, when I got home from elk season, I got the calendar out and we booked, several camping trips in October. Like we just put them in ink on the calendar and guys, I don't want to go like, like I don't love camping unless we're camping somewhere where I can go crawl up a hillside and glass in the morning and scout, you know, I'm just, that's how I'm wired. But I went and planned all these cool trips with the family. When we went to Yellowstone this year, um, down to, um, a bunch of cool places in Southern Idaho and Montana and just made a huge, like camped on the salmon river spent a bunch of time up at our cabin on the river and just made it a priority to let my wife know that, Hey, I spend all this time planning my elk hunts. The least I can do is help spend some time planning all some of our family getaways. Mm -hmm. And that just comes down to being intentional. And then this is the hardest one for me, Bo, but like, uh, I've learned to do this way better is to just be upfront and com communicate what, what it is I'm thinking, even though there's a high probability that my wife's going to be like, holy shit, you really want to hunt that much this year? <laughs> and the answer is yes. Yes, I do. And I, so I put it on the calendar once I get a tag and I know the dates I'm going, I get it up there right away. And I tell her, I point to it. And I'm like, this is what I'm planning. And there's a discussion that takes place afterwards, you know, but before that, I used to kind of like hold my cards tight and then just kind of show her my hand as I'm going out the door for elk season. And that's not a good rest. Don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. Don't do that. <laughs> well, it's it's like, so, you know, for me, I, I I don't have any kids or anything, but up until this point, you know, I, I I'm, I'm in a pretty serious relationship and, and I had never, I hadn't really had that for a long time. And I just kind of did whatever I wanted. 
And then I'm, as I'm, you know, getting into this, I'm like, you know, I, I need to change some things. I'm being selfish. I need to to adapt a little bit and figure out how to split up that time. And, you know, especially with, you know, with business and the side hustle and, and hunting and, and everything else to make sure that, you know, because, you know, family is extremely important to me. And, and I, I, I need to make sure that, it's, it's never intentional that I'm, you know, say neglecting some of that, but I, I'm definitely doing it. And it's, it's, you know, trying to find that balance is, is, you know, something I'm continually working on. Yeah. Balancing's hard. Family's hard, all that stuff. I mean, and then on the flip side too, like for someone like me, like, you know, I can't just put in for two weeks vacation and walk away and go, Oh, honey, like, I got to do, like I do podcasts like you do. Yeah. I got to bankroll enough podcasts uh, ahead of time. I got to make enough YouTube videos. I got to schedule enough Instagram posts. Um, I got to turn my email on to auto reply. Like there's a lot of logistics and a lot of, you know, basically pre-planning work just so that my business is still running while I'm not there. Yeah. And uh, so it's, it's cool. I'm not complaining. It's just part of the deal, um, and I live for it, man. Yeah, no, that's that's. I think that's that's really good advice, and then I think you know some of the takeaways I got there is is planning, communication, and yeah, just being being open about it and and discussing those things so there's no surprises. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, sir. If I were to take anything away from that, but so Dan, as you're coming into you know the new year here. You know, as I'm doing the same thing as trying to figure out, you know, hunting plans, all that's a different side of things. But like getting into preparing for that for the season, so you're mentally there, so you're physically there, and everything. What is your like your goal setting, and what are you thinking about this time of year as you're as you're heading into it as it comes to preparing for elk season? Yeah, so the, the the first of the year for me is kind of like um, a really good time of year to reflect on the year past and like take a good look in the mirror. Like, are you really happy with some of the decisions you made? Which ones are those? Which ones are you not happy with? And be honest with yourself and reflect like, what am I doing well? What can I, what can be done better? what do I need to change? And change is hard for everybody, but I just like the reset of a new year for me personally. Um, as all that pertains to elk hunting, I really don't know where I'm going elk hunting in 2021, except for Idaho, but I'm going to find out as the months come, but I am going to start preparing as if I did know. And one of those things is I like to try to stay in elk shape because it's a hell of a lot easier to stay in elk shape than it is to get out of it and get back in. And I don't know why that is. I'm not God. I didn't design the human body, but especially the older we get, I'm almost 40. It's like, dude, you can't go, you can't let yourself get out of shape because it's just a nightmare to get back in. Um, and some people listening might be in that position where they held on to their fitness from hunting season but more people actually get in worse shape during hunting season, especially whitetail hunting. It's yeah. not conducive to fitness. There's no time to really work out. You're certainly not going to eat salads in the tree stand and just some poor habits kind of get, you know, come to the surface during that time of year. So maybe use the, the new year to reset 
your mindset. Remember why you're, you need to train. Remember why you need to prioritize family time. Put the phone down. Engage with the family. Uh, prioritize, you know, networking. Prioritize some e-scouting and researching because really the separation isn't the preparation. And for me, this time of year, coming up on a new year, I, I'm going to be start to e-scouting units that I might be hunting, but maybe I won't get the tag. But I at least want to be pretty familiar and kind of get a head start. I'm definitely networking with a lot of my elk hunting partners, getting their takes on their seasons like we're doing right now, um, finding out where they went, if they'll tell me um, what their experience was on the pressure, did the elk vocalize early, was there any lulls in the rut, how did it go in the back end of the season, um, what was the drought like, where was their water, you know, I'm always talking to elk hunters nonstop. Um, you can network on social media. Now you can send out with a click of a button. You can get a hold of anybody, whether or not they'll answer your message. You at least can send it and try. Um, please don't say not looking for any honey holes, but, but. <laughs> ask like, that's such a cliche. Don't do that. But like ask real specific questions. Um, but also maybe give some information in your question to that. They're like, okay, wait, this guy's, this guy's done some of his own research. He's asking me a really specific question about a specific trailhead access or, um, honey pressure. Um, I don't really call game biologists, man. I, I, they give the same canned answers to the same thousand people that call them. Uh, I do call game wardens because they see where people punch tags. They see where a lot of hunters, where they can go check hunters for license. Like they're in the field. They know what's up. So I think game wardens are a great resource. They're trickier to get a hold of. Um, so you might have to pester them, but it's, I don't think it's crazy to say that fitness is definitely at the for the forefront, like, but it's kind of a lifestyle for me. So if it's not for you or your listener or whoever, make it a priority and start getting into elk shape earlier, but also on the back end, start doing your digital research. Um, there's great resources, out, resources out there like Eastman's tag hub is like, uh, an accountant's dream, like all their stuff. They have all their spreadsheets on everything you can filter so many different ways I use their system, um, toprut.com. And I don't want to give away all my secrets, but there's some really good digital resources out there to really separate yourself from others and do your homework and really understand where you're going and get a strategy on how to get your best tags in front of you. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I agree. And that's, I, I love, I love the, the winter time for that strategizing portion. And to, to go back to the, the, the fitness side of it, it's, you know, for me, I, I, I would consider myself a little more of like having it as part of a lifestyle, but I would definitely say this year, um, my whitetail season lasted longer than I was hoping for. And, and I, I, de and I definitely didn't, work out nearly like I would any other time and I've been you know just filled my tag on Saturday and got back hitting the gym hard this week and I was like holy cow I am struggling you know <laughs> like bad and and it's like one of the because I, I know what it's like when you're in those spots and when you're elk hunting so if there if there's um you know, a unit, you know, there's obviously some that are better than others and, and everything, but if they, if they give tags there, there's elk there. So when you're, when you're hunting, well, I mean, most of the time there is, but so when you're hunting, 
it's the number one thing that's going to start going, at least for me, is is my mind. And as the days start going on and you start looking at trying new things, you, you got to get yourself to to be able to get up every morning and, and go hike in there, even though it's a long ways and do that. And, and when you, like in 2019, when I killed my bull, I was in the best shape of my life and I felt awesome. Like when I, when I, I was... I think I, I made me way more confident as far as going into places and like I'd look at a map and I felt like no matter where it was I could get there and I could get a a bowl out and whether that be true or not I don't know but I had that in my mind and that helped so much where I've been on hunts you know prior to that that I was not in the shape that I thought I was and I, I struggled with it and I made it a point that I will will not do that again. So that's, you know, my kind of just, you know, two cents on the whole, on the whole thing. Yeah. I get a lot of messages um, through social platforms or emails and, and the gist of them are like pretty cool. Like, Hey, I appreciate you're very motivating. You're inspiring. I just posted recently something to the the tune of like motivation is a false prophet. Like motivation comes and goes because it's a feeling. Sometimes you're mad. Sometimes you're sad. Sometimes you're angry. Sometimes you're motivated. That's not going to cut it. At the end of the day, you got to know I am training because I know that elk hunting is going to kick me in the dick. It is hard. And I'm going to train when I don't want to. I'm going to get up early when I don't want to. And I'm just going to keep bankrolling a bunch of W's day in and day out. And I don't care what you do. That's why I didn't really mention specifics because at the end of the day, just break a sweat in the name of better elk hunting and do it day in and day out because you are making deposits into your mental capacity. And that, my friends, is what will separate you in the mountains because it is a grind. Day nine, day 10, can you hunt as hard as you did on day one, on day 10? And it's really not a physical thing. It's more a mental thing to be out there. And when the elk hunting's hard, the elk aren't talking, people are everywhere you got to just work even harder. And so that's what I dip in is to my reserves, my mental capacity reserves. And I only got those reserves by doing the stuff in the off season. Now, my point of all this was that, yes, I understand. And I do get messages and memes made about me that you don't have to be in shape to kill an elk. And I completely agree. But my trajectory is to be killing elk in my 60s maybe even my 70s and 80s. I want that the re- as long as I'm on this planet, I want to be at elk camp with my son and his son. And I don't want to be limited. And so that's why I'm so big on training is yeah, you got to be in shape, but really you got to be mentally tough and you got to take care of your body. You only got one and you want to be doing this stuff for a really long time. And so I'm just stealing your I'm soapboxing, but I wanted to to get that out there. Yeah, no, no, no. I I totally agree. And I I laugh when I see those types of memes and everything. And and I, I've heard it because, you know, like where I hunt even for whitetails in the Appalachian Mountains, it's it's not, you know, you, you can kill a deer close to a road. You don't have to be in great shape. But, you know, I like to, to get in further. I like to be able to, you know, do different stuff. And even just when being in good shape, helps me mentally in the tree stand and because you're used to doing hard things you're used to breaking through those mental barriers and doing that and when it comes to elk hunting 
and with any type of hunting, the people that I see that are consistently successful like yourself and those like Ryan Lampers and people like that, like you guys, it, it's not that there's this magic formula that you're hunting all these amazing places and, and all this stuff. It's that you're just grinding the entire time. Like you're not, you're not giving up. It's not that, yeah, you're, it's not that, oh, yeah, you find, you know, you, you're in, uh, you're, you'll, you wear an elk every day in Idaho and, and, and everything. But the, the fact that you have to work for that and from beginning to end. And I, I don't know, I'm just not convinced that, that you can, you can do that every year for a long time without, without being in, in good shape. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not, I am not even close to considering myself an elk hunting expert or knowing much of anything about it. But if there's anything that I see from analyzing other people, that's one of the, the common denominators there. Yeah. I'd say, you know, they, they always say that 10% of elk hunters do, you know, a hundred percent of the killing or whatever. And that's not true. There's people that get lucky every year or for the first year. But I think if you do take this elk hunting stuff pretty serious, which I think I do, uh, there is a formula out there for consistent success year in and year out. And it's about your mindset. It's about your priorities. It's about thinking about this stuff way out in front and then creating a lifestyle to where you can do it. And it's not a burden on your entire family. Um, and it is a balancing act. And I think we kind of covered some of the stuff, but yeah. Uh, I just always want to be real with people, man. I want people to, to, to feel like they do know me because I, I'm not like some facade, like this is really what I think. And I just think elk hunting is a gift that you could leverage in so many different ways to make life better for everybody around you. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and for, for me, I'm a huge believer in investing in yourself and, and doing things to help your odds. And, you know, it's one of the reasons that I'm going to be attending your elk shape camp in Pennsylvania this year. You know, I, I see the, the people that you put through the camps and the success stories and everything else. And, and, you know, I, I feel like it was with some people, you can let your ego get in the way and be like, Oh, I, I, I know enough. Like, I, I don't care if I was elk hunting for 20 years, like you are or not. Like, I feel like going to your camp or doing, or, you know, working on my, my fitness and doing everything else is like, that's, that's all it's going to do is make you better. And my, my buddy, this is why I, I am blessed to have found amazing hunting partners. And, and my buddy, Michael, when he texted me, he's like, Hey, elk shape camps coming to Pennsylvania. And I'd known this already from talking to you and talking to Jeff Bynum and, then, you know, he's like, he's like, I, he's, he hasn't killed a bull yet. And he's like, I, I'm going to this, if this is going to help me in any way, I, I'm going all in with it. And I, I think that, you know, that's such a great mindset to have for it. Well, that's, I'm glad you said that. Yeah. I'm excited for your camp. Um, first time doing one in Pennsylvania. To me, that state has got to be one of the most diehard bow hunting communities out there so our camp is very archery driven um centered around the elk rut doesn't mean if you rifle hunt you wouldn't learn something but uh i personally learn at every camp uh, because i certainly do not know it all and the day i think i do is the day i'm probably not going to have any more success uh 
And that's kind of what you sign up for when you go, hey, I want to be an elk hunter is cool. Welcome to the school of elk hunting, the school of hard knocks. I did this camp, this whole idea, because I wanted people to not do what I did, which was teach yourself how to shoot a bow and basically and create bad habits and then go elk hunting and really pretty good elk hunting areas and not know what the heck you're doing and get so close, but yet be so far from punching a tag year after year. I think I hunted four years straight without shooting an elk. Um, and finally on that fifth year, I, I was able to kill my first bull elk and have consistent success from that point going forward. And I don't regret those four years of learning curve, but I don't want people to have their learning curve be that long. I don't think it needs to be. And so we kind of dive into at these camps, like, well, first off, you could be the best elk caller in the world. You could be a freaking elk biologist and know what the elk are going to do before they do it. But if you don't have the right setup when it comes to broadhead, arrow, bow, equipment, and more importantly, know how to do the proper shot execution when it counts, when it really matters, you're going to be in a learning curve a lot longer. So we start the camps out by really dissecting everybody's shot process, looking at their equipment, going over bow tuning and teaching them as much as we can there. Fortunately for your camp, Bo, we're going to be at Lancaster Archery. <laughs> um, I'm so stoked about that. I mean, that is like, I've always wanted to see that place anyways, because I've spent lots of money on their website. But um, so to go to Lancaster is going to be awesome. And then from there, we do, you know, we do your typical stuff. Like I bring in like Dirk Durham, the bugler, and he teaches everybody how to make vocalizations with diaphragm calls. And some people get it pretty quick and others don't. And so he spends more time with them, but we go through all the sounds so they know what they mean, when to use them, how to make them. And then we go into arguably the most important part of the camp, which where I literally sit down and show people how to plan their hunt from a computer, how to use Google earth, how to use top rut, how to use go hunt Eastman's tag hub, how to use on X, how to use base map, how to, whatever you choose to use, I'll show you how to mark up your plans and download your maps. And that stuff may sound like simple, but a lot of people don't know how to do that. Um, they don't know the difference between, a KLM file and how to import that into their, you know, mapping software. So we dive deep on all that kind of stuff. Um, we talk about the mental side of things and then we kind of get into the personal development side of things, which is where that's why Jeff Bynum comes to every camp. He's my financial coach. He's your financial coach. Yep. Um, and it's cool to have one. So we do have 18 year olds, 20 year olds, 30 year olds, 50 year olds. I've had a 70 something year old come to these camps some guys are in better you know, financial situations than others, but you don't know everything about money. Nobody does. Just like we don't know everything about elk hunting. We all can learn. And so I bring him in there to help people create a hunting budget and to help plan because elk hunting is expensive, especially for you. It's a lot more expensive for you than it is for me. I, I'm a tank of gas away from several trailheads. Um, you're a 30 plus hour drive or, you know, so we talk about the differences between flying and driving. What gear do you absolutely have to have? What stuff you should, but it's not a must. How to budget for the tax. How to budget your finances. If you're in credit card debt or debt into your eyeballs, you need to take care of your financial portfolio first before you think about becoming an elk hunter. So I, I like bringing a financial coach and then we get into the fitness. And the whole time, Bo, 
this whole weekend, I'm just trying to find out where the holes are in your game and Matt and like basically put the spotlight on them and say, okay, all right, Bo, you shoot pretty good. Your setup's pretty doped. You got your finances figured out. Your conditioning needs work. You're not, there's a more intelligent way to approach your training. I'm going to help you with some interval training. I'm going to have you, you know, so I'm just pick apart whatever. So if you suck it out calling, or maybe you just don't know how to make those chuckles or those grunts, or you really want to learn the lip ball, like whatever it is you need, that's what we're going to. So I just identify your weakness or weaknesses and try to like reprioritize your training or your approach so that you're making those minimized. Yeah. Okay. So what, what, what I, what I'm excited about with this is that it's, it sounds like you're, you're working with each individual person and that's why you probably cap the, the number so you can give everybody the attention that they need, that they're needed and yeah, focus on those gaps and just, and to be able to, to make them the most well-rounded elk hunter they can be, whether that's brand new to it or they've been doing it for a while, but maybe making some mistakes. Hundred percent, and that's why I bring people with me. Like I could probably teach some financial stuff, but I don't know what Jeff knows—not to his degree. Um, I can teach people how to use elk, you know, diaphragm reads and make pretty good sounds, but I don't sound anywhere near like Dirk. And he just does it for a lip. So we bring Dirk, and then same with the guys behind the counter at Lancaster. They have some Botex and some actual archery coaches that are like—I forget—but they're like level something archery coaches they're very overqualified. Let's have them. Um, and I'll stay in my lane. I'll teach you how to work hard. I'll teach you how to be disciplined. I'll teach you the nutrition and the fitness and we'll bring it all together. And, uh, I love the camps. Honestly, man, it's like a dream for me to be able to do these. And, um, I'm going to ride the wave as long as I can, as long as there's elk hunters wanting to learn, I'm here to help. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really excited about the, the fact that is meeting all these other elk hunters too, because like, if they're signing up for this camp, they're obviously investing in themselves and wanting to work hard for it. And just being around that type of environment just makes you better just from that standpoint. Yeah. We basically have seen people almost create new elk hunting brethren, sister and elk camps out of our elk camp. It's crazy to say, but like so many people have gone on hunts together. They've been to the camps and you meet lifelong friends and like-minded people we have a private Facebook group page for everyone to stay connected from every camp. We pull it into one and just this, this little small community of pretty serious elk hunters that can't get enough of it. And iron sharpens iron. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree there. So I am excited for that. Where else are you doing some elk shape camps? Um, well, like I said, I think we're doing seven. So Texas, Tennessee, Ohio, Boise, Idaho, Lancaster, PA, Denver, Colorado, and uh, Ogden, Utah, and uh, yeah, we're we're stoked. It starts in February, and we'll be done with all those camps by the end of April. I like seeing I like seeing those eastern states uh, coming into the mix. There, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, that's by by design, man. Like I think that's where I can help the most. Yep, is the plan is all the logistical nightmares of coming out West and it's not a nightmare. We can really make it simplified and show you that it's possible to hunt elk year in and year out or every other year, whatever makes the most sense for you. Awesome. Well, Dan, do you have anything else that you, that you want to add on this before we kind of wrap up the show? Um, I just want to tell you 
congratulations on your amazing, beautiful public land PA buck that you earned. Um, I am a diehard whitetail guy and I have an, I don't know, like a little spot in my heart for mountain public land bucks. That's what I hunt. And there's a lot of blank sits and there's a lot of like questioning your sanity. So I wanted to just take the opportunity to say, congratulations, super pumped for you, man. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And, and I, I can't wait to someday and hopefully soon hunt Idaho, Washington, Montana, mountain bucks. That's like one of my dreams. You've indirectly introduced me to Troy Pottinger, who's become a friend of mine and is one of the most inspiring guys when it comes to hunting mountain bucks and, and everything else. Like I, 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 I definitely appreciate that. And I, I just, I love hunting whitetails. Well, between his house and my house, you got two places to stay. Troy's an amazing human being and a world-class whitetail hunter for public land bucks. So, um, you just got to book your airfare and make a plan, dude. I I know Troy, Troy is called, he calls me pretty frequently and he'll just be like, Hey, even if you like, you want to come out here, he's like, if you and your girlfriend would want to come out in the summer and just hang out, you have a place to stay and just genuinely great guy. And then same to you. I mean, I think that's, it's, it's awesome to, to know people like that. Yep. Yeah. He's salt of the earth and, I'm I'm definitely serious. Like whitetail hunting over here in Washington, Eastern Washington, in the mountains, is uh, right up your alley. So you know a guy, just right. reach out. <laughs> All right, sounds good, man. Well, so Dan, where can people find uh, information on you, your content, Elk Shape Camp? Give me give me your whole rundown there. Um, just elkshape.com at elkshape for all the socials and YouTube and all that um or google us and yeah just uh early bird pricing for the oak shape camp ends december 31st i don't know when this podcast is being published but uh if you catch it in time you get a good rate and hurry up because the lancaster has i don't know five spots left oh awesome yeah this will definitely be out before december 31st and we'll to, to give people some you know a chance to jump on that hopefully well for you, it, it doesn't matter. You know, hopefully, you have it filled up. But for everybody else that's listening and you want to jump in and and go to Elk Shape Camp, whether in Pennsylvania or somewhere else, uh, definitely recommend trying. And I'm I am through the roof excited about it. Well, thanks for having me on, man. It's good to catch up with you. All right, we'll talk to you later, Dan. All right, man. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.